It's easy to put the Bible's advice into a separate, churchy part of life. But is that where it really belongs? Or can the Bible give us valuable guidance in every part of life? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran with Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. In our lesson today, I think you'll be surprised and encouraged on how helpful the Bible can be as we talk about Proverbs, a reliable GPS for a disciple of Jesus. Why we need a GPS, a global positioning system. A GPS in our car or phone can give us directions because it's linked to a system of satellites orbiting the Earth that can pinpoint where we are within one centimeter of accuracy. We might be lost or not know how to get from place to place where we are on the Earth, but a GPS system far above us can see the big picture and correctly guide us. The book of Proverbs gives us a view of what our behavior from God's viewpoint that we need when we get lost in the weeds of daily decisions. We might also think of Proverbs as our user manual for life, as has often been said, and just as often forgotten, that the maker of anything knows what it is designed for and how it will function best. A car comes with a manual and advice, change the oil, do preventive maintenance, etc. If you do these things, you'll have a much greater chance of your car lasting and serving you well if you, than if you would run it without ever changing the oil, never checking fluids, and try to use diesel instead of regular gas. Taking care of your car is not a guarantee that you'll never be in an accident or you'll never have problems, but it will run much better for the life of the car if you do what you're supposed to do. The book of Proverbs is like that. It's our GPS, our user's manual, whatever you decide to call it, we need the book of Proverbs for the right direction of our lives, for the best running of our souls. We need to pay attention to what it says. We won't get reliable advice like that anywhere else, not just in the overall secular world where the shift away from default biblical Christian values is obvious, but we also, and this is really important, think about this, we also won't find it in ourselves, though that is what the world tells us today where the whole song, I did it my way, is celebrated. That's almost an anthem of modern day people and we constantly hear this statement, trust your gut, trust your gut, and that's sort of taken as the ultimate guide. Proverbs, well actually the Bible as a whole, but Proverbs especially gives us a very different view. Proverbs says that I am not the source of what should define my life and behavior, but that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now the message translation puts it this way, start with God, the first step in learning is bowing down to God. Regardless of the translation, the source of our life and what guides it should be God. Now, a word here about fear and fearing God. We're so quick these days to dismiss the idea of fearing God. We quickly say whenever we read these verses about fearing God that the verse doesn't really mean fear. When we say the word fear, we actually mean a reverence or an awe of God. As a result of making this Bible verse and others like it acceptable to everybody, many people, I think sadly, have become overly familiar, flippant, and honestly irreverent, even in conversations about God, and they feel that it's perfectly alright to disregard what he says if it doesn't suit them. 
Now there is a place for humor and all of that. I'm not trying to be overly serious, although I have been accused of being a bit overly serious. But seriously, I am very concerned that today we've gone too far on the side of irreverence. That's wrong, just simply wrong. There are times when fear correctly doesn't mean terror, but a realistic awe, because God is God, and we need to have a healthy respect for Him. C.S. Lewis made a very interesting comment on this when he said that sometimes people think they really want to see God. They want to talk to him. They want him to answer them directly, kind of like Job did. But he said they do not know what they're asking for. He reminds us that in the Bible, when people were visited by even just angels or confronted with God, their experience was often one of sheer terror. And the first words they heard were often, Don't be afraid. This is not to say God wants us to live in terror of him. I want to emphasize that. He is a good God who loves us, who gives us life, who died a horrid death that our sins should be forgiven. But a reverent respect is a good and necessary thing. I think living aware that we are always in his presence is a good practice for the time that we will, and it will come, that we will meet him face to face. A friend of Dallas Willard said that when Dallas died, because of his close walk with God and his constant awareness of God's presence with him, that, quote, Dallas probably didn't even notice. I've always really thought that was an incredibly wonderful statement, and Proverbs can help us live that kind of life. Proverbs helps us see God's point of view in the most mundane details of life, and it's in those details of life that our lives are formed. Ralph Waldo Emerson, this isn't from the Bible, but it's very valid, said, Sow a thought, and you reap an action. Sow an act, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. Proverbs helps us learn and then incorporate into our lives that progression of thoughts, actions, habits, with the result of a biblical, godly character. Now, what then is the book of Proverbs? We've talked about all the necessity for it, but but what is the book itself? It's one of the poetic books of the Bible, though biblical, quote-unquote, poetry is a little different than how we normally define poetry. The Oxford bibliographies define Hebrew poetry in this way, where they say, quote, Briefly defined, biblical Hebrew poetry is a non-metrical form of verse characterized above all by verbal inventiveness. I, I like that phrase. A discernible poetic diction and texture. Basically, it's just saying it doesn't rhyme, but it has a different organization and tone, a different sound than the other narrative parts of the Bible. For example, it's obviously very different than the historical parts that maybe talk about how um, uh, this certain battle took place or this king begat so-and-so and so-and-so had this child and the Israelites moved from here and there. The book of Proverbs, obviously, when in passages where it says things like, you know, uh, a word fitly spoken is like an apple of gold in a setting of silver. Things like that. Obviously, it's a very um, 
pictorial way of speaking. So it, it's a type of poetry, even though it's, it doesn't necessarily rhyme. And of course, it wouldn't anyway, because we're translating it from a different language. Proverbs is also called one of the wisdom books, as it presents how to live a wise life from God's viewpoint. Solomon collected most of it, but others contributed for the next around 200 years to different Proverbs put into the book before it was in its final form. Now, whether we call it wisdom or poetry, it is filled with practical advice on how to live. It's important to remember, though, that the Proverbs are not promises. The analogy, again, of the user manual for the car is useful because following what the manual says does not guarantee that you won't have car problems or be in an accident, but all other things being equal, your car will run much better if you follow the manual than when you don't. For example, one proverb that is often misused in this way and, and very sadly misunderstood is Proverbs 22.6 where it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Now many have claimed that God promises that if you train your child to be godly, if they stray in as an adult, they will eventually come back to God. Well, sadly we know that isn't always true. But... If you do train your child to be godly, and just as important as training them, if they see you live it, it's much more likely they will end up walking with the Lord. And again, I can't emphasize enough, the best way we can influence anyone to walk with the Lord is to walk that way ourselves. Paul and I both been, my, Paul's my husband, and Paul and I both worked with young people quite a bit in our ministry history. And one of the things that again and again, a young person would say to us as a reason that they weren't interested in church or they turned away or they were angry with God or whatever is that someone in their life an authority figure a parent perhaps sadly whatever said well they were just a hypocrite they didn't do what they told me to do and so why should I follow these rules we always when we're wanting to influence people we want to as much as is possible be above reproach in how we live our lives to begin to train ourselves in the Bible 805 chronological reading plan, you'll read a chapter in Proverbs every other day, and you will go through the entire book six times in the course of the year. Now, this repeated reading of Proverbs is really important in that Malcolm Gladwell, in his book Outliers, and this has become a very famous statement, proposed that you need 10,000 hours of practice. That can be broken down into 90 minutes a day over 20 years or any combination thereof to become a master at something. Now, there's a lot of debate over his conclusions on the amount of time required, but nobody says you become good at something without time and practice. Reading and thinking about Proverbs repeatedly will help us become experts in godly living. Now, here's an expert tip. Um, I was just listening to a YouTube video the other day where the person was, was talking about successful living things and miscellaneous stuff, but he said, people who write down everything they eat lose weight, 
even if they don't make other changes. There's something about recording what we do, looking at it, evaluating it, that makes a big difference. A good application here, I think, and a very practical one, is journal what you're learning from Proverbs and the other books in the Bible. Honestly evaluate where you are and what you need to work on and pray for God's help in areas you see that you need help in. We're now going to, let's make this very practical, we're now going to look at some situations of contemporary life. What First of all, we'll look at what the most often reaction to this situation is, and then we'll look in contrast at some suggested applications from the book of Proverbs. So first of all, the situation, an obvious example is the dangers of adultery, of sexual sins. Now, it doesn't take an astute philosophical analysis to see that in our world today, sexual faithfulness to one person is no longer a value or even an expectation. Now that's obviously a post-Christian, post-biblical view as the Bible in Proverbs and many other places teaches sexual faithfulness and purity. As one commentator described the current socially acceptable view of sexuality, I thought this was a great quote, he said, we've moved adultery from a sin to entertainment. Now, that might be a little bit funny and nicely worded, but it is sadly an obvious observation. Now, Proverbs has much to say about being faithful to your spouse and the foolishness of adultery. And I'm bringing this up because many of us would say, well, I do that. I'm I'm just great in that area. But this is really important because this applies to all of us, even if we are physically faithful in a relationship and mentally also because in the Old Testament Israel's relationship to God is often talked about as the same as that of a husband and wife and when Israel worships other gods it's referred to as spiritual adultery. Now this teaches us a lot, but on the one hand, it illustrates how personal God's love is for us and our worship of Him. It's much more than just an intellectual exercise. These passages are also a great warning of the dangers of straying from our soul and faithful love of God. Many of the things that distract people from faithful relationships can distract us from a focused love and worship of God. Proverbs helps us be aware of them. Now, the next situation, someone corrects us, questions how we act. Why did we do something a certain way? Now, the current worldview is that our response, immediately we take offense. Immediately we defend ourselves, we yell, we argue. You know, why did you say that? No, I didn't. You know, all this kind of stuff. In contrast, Proverbs says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is stupid. (laughs) It's kind of blunt there. Um, If you profit from constructive criticism, you will be elected to the wise man's hall of fame. But to reject criticism is to harm yourself and your own best interests. People who listen when they are corrected will live, but those who will not admit they're wrong are in danger. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. Also, 
for the person who is giving the criticism because it's never easy and it should only be done with lots of prayer and love. This is an interesting verse. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Sometimes it's kind of hard to say to somebody, you know, that might not be the best way to handle certain situations. Now, when we do that, for one thing, know that most people will not accept it graciously. No matter what you say, people usually won't. But a lot of times, even though people get angry with us and do not respond how Proverbs wants us to, wants them or us to, that sometimes they'll think about it. And in the end, we'll come back and say, you know, you were right about that. Some applications here. Criticism is a gift. We're not all-knowing, and we need God's Word and people to let us know when we stray in big or little ways. We honestly may not know something is wrong. And again, our world today is so off base, so just really incorrect on how to handle relationships and people and all of these sorts of things that we, we honestly may not know, particularly if we're, we're new in our walk with the Lord or we haven't maybe gone to a, a, a church that really teaches the Bible. We just may not know. When I was involved with the Navigator Ministry in college, which is a a Bible teaching ministry, they had a summer training program that was really quite good. But one of the things that uh, they would tell us to do is before we went to the summer training program, they required that we read through and really think about the book of Proverbs. Because we would be in sort of a spiritual training, and they wanted... they up front said, you know, we want your hearts to really be soft, to be open to criticism, to be willing to learn, and to realize that that's a good thing. And so they required that we do that. So when we are questioned or criticized, how should we act? Don't become immediately defensive and reject it. Be quiet for a few minutes at minimum. Again and again and again, Proverbs, and I'll be sharing some verses in just a second, emphasizes the importance of just keeping quiet. Keep your mouth shut. Don't say things. Be by yourself. Think about it. Pray about it. Be thankful someone cared enough to share with you. It's never easy to confront someone and pray for an open heart to learn from God's Word. Now, on the other hand, there's a lot of mean people out there. There's nasty people, there's unkind people, and that's just kind of how our world is. So if the criticism was merely mean, unkind, or untrue, just ignore it and move on. Now, similar situation, someone upsets or insults you does something to, quote-unquote, make you angry. The worldview hit back with anger, slander, verbal assaults, whenever you feel the slightest insult or misunderstanding. Now, it's worth noting, though, no one can, quote-unquote, make you angry. It's always a choice. It's always a learned response. It's always a habit. There are some people that are just super touchy and they are difficult to be around because without meaning to, you never know when you're going to set them off. That is not a pleasant thing. Not to deny that something happens, but 
Proverbs majors on your response. And here's what Proverbs says. Slowness to anger makes for deep understanding. A quick-tempered person stockpiles stupidity. A wise man restrains his anger and overlooks insults. This is to his credit. Whoever derides his neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Application. Instead of being destructive with what we say, the lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. And sometimes, too, to add to the verse in Proverbs, people don't even mean what they said. People that are so quick to take insults, lots of times people didn't even mean it as an insult. You do not, and this is really important, you do not need to tell people how you feel about everything. Oh, that was really upsetting. That was bad, 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 bad. Feelings are fleeting. The hurt of painful words can last a long time. Overlook the insult, Proverbs tells us. The prudent overlook an insult. I remember hearing someone say a while back, and this to me was one of the best pieces of advice I think I've ever gotten. This person said, I don't know why I say and do the things that I say and do a lot of times, so why am I always attributing really negative, deep meanings to the behind every comment that somebody else makes? And I thought that was just great. Sometimes somebody might say something that momentarily hurts you or, or you know, it didn't come across right or, you know, whatever. Just leave it alone. I mean, good grief. Um, you know, seriously, at, you know, there comes a point in life where we need to realize we are not on reality television. It just seems like so often people today are just always on and always, you know, easy to be insulted or easily take hurt or, you know, all this kind of stuff. Please don't do that. Um, always remember Jesus, who when he was horribly mocked and rebuked, and if there was ever anyone who didn't deserve it, it was him. He did not retaliate. Going on in Proverbs, the Lord detests lying lips, but delights in those who are trustworthy. Just Think of all of the ways that we can lie um, intentionally, unintentionally, sort of deceive, not tell the truth. But Lord doesn't want that. Another one on how to be constructive in what we say. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. You don't have to always be giving advice. This is something that I've had to learn in life. You know, we think we see a better way to do something, a better way to say something, a better way to do this and this and this and this, and we somehow feel obligated to tell people our great and wonderful way of doing whatever. They don't care. 
and chances are it isn't as brilliant as we think it is. So always remember, Proverbs says, the prudent keep knowledge to themselves. And then, of course, Proverbs 25.11, where it says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Now, another situation, when we or others make mistakes, the worldview is we either justify ourselves or beat ourselves up. Proverbs, though, reminds us that the righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. And it goes on to say, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Application, first of all, when we make mistakes, remember God isn't finished with us. Be kind to yourself. It says that the righteous people will fall. And remember, seven is used in Scripture as an infinite number. Remember when uh, uh, Jesus told his disciples to forgive seven times seventy. He met without limit. And the righteous people aren't just going to fall seven times. They're going to fall seven times and seven times and seven times. We're all going to make mistakes. But you need to get back up and forgive yourself as you would others. A great encouragement, too, from Proverbs, and this is one of my very favorite, favorite verses, is Proverbs 4.18, where it says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. We might be just a little glimmer right now, but we stumble, we get back up, we stumble, we get back up, and our life will shine brighter and brighter until the full light of day. Application 2 for verses 17 and 18. We are never to rejoice when bad things happen to people we don't like. God does deal with bad people, often though we don't see it. Sometimes we do. But rejoicing over another's misfortune is never, ever the right thing to do. We should most of all pray when someone is punished, to be like our Lord, who it says is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I thought, too, remember, it says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And no matter how unkind or mean or cruel someone has been, we need to pray that they repent, because the punishment that they will receive eternally is far more horrible than we can even begin to comprehend. A good summary verse, if someone doesn't follow Proverbs, or even try, this is a good warning one. In Proverbs 19.3 it says, A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. In the message it puts it this way, People ruin their lives by their own stupidity, so why does God always get blamed? Don't blame God. If you don't follow His direction, and things go wrong. In all the situations of life, there are always two voices. There are jokes about angels and devils, and sometimes it's a caricature, but there really are two voices, one of self and Satan, one of our Creator. Now, Proverbs continually reminds us of this, referring to the voice of Satan as the fool, the foolish, etc. This number one voice of Satan, he wanted to be a god, and he wants to tempt us to be our own gods. 
He's never original. You will always hear the question he asked in the Garden of Eden when he said to Eve, Did God really say this? Satan will always want to tempt you with, Did God say you can't do this? Did God really say that? So much of what he says does not sound quote-unquote sinful. The positive thoughts, the affirmations, if you think it, you can be it. If you want it, it's yours. You know, you are the most important. All these kind of things, they sound so important, so positive, so self-caring, so all this and that. But they're just ways for us to be our own God. But trying to be our own God makes for a very puny God. I don't know if you remember. It was I think it was in um, uh, Iron Man. I forget exactly which one of the Marvel movies. But the Hulk uh, it was confronted with Loki, who is like the evil character. And Loki says, but I'm a God. And the Hulk grabs him and slams him back and forth. And he goes, puny God, puny God. And I often think, you know, that's kind of what God must think of our foolish attempts to try to be the masters of our own fate and our own God. But the second voice, of course, is our Creator's. Listening to His voice is what we were made for. That's what will make us truly happy and fulfilled. Now, listening to our God is difficult and challenging in our post-Christian, post-biblical world, where the voices are sometimes loud, sometimes soft, but always constant and contradictory to the Word of God. The good news is that one day, the voice of evil will be silenced forever. I think that's going to be one of the greatest joys of heaven. You won't hear this chattering, these accusations, all of this junk in your mind anymore. You just won't hear that anymore. But until then, we have Proverbs. We have the entire Word of God to guide us. But we need to read it and apply it for it to help. All this is valid, but there's another very important part of applying Proverbs that is extremely essential for us to look at, and that is beyond just making us happy, at peace, fulfilled, and blessed. As I thought about it, I realized if we just stop there, we could, sinful creatures that we are, just think that Proverbs is all about us, exchanging a sort of worldly selfishness for a more spiritual one. But Proverbs is much more than that. It is a practical way for us to grow as a disciple of Jesus, which is the goal of our Christian lives, to become like the one we follow. That is the expertise, the 10,000 hour goal we work towards to become like Jesus. And Proverbs is a great reminder that God always works in little ways. Growth as a disciple is founded not just on what you know, but how kind you are, how you control what you say, how you respond when treated unfairly or criticized, how you handle finances, temptations, and the multitude of details that make up the minutes of our lives. We aren't just checking off a list of readings. We're creating a life. We started with the definition of Proverbs, and one of them was that they can be thought of as a poem. And this reminded me of Ephesians 3.10, where it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And the word workmanship 
Here in this verse is the Greek word poema. We are God's poem, his message to the world. We should be living examples of God's way of living, examples of Jesus. Proverbs gives us a choice, a GPS, but no guidance system drives a car for us. We decide if we'll take its advice or not. Ignore it, and you could end up as a tawdry tale, as Shakespeare said, one that was told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Or, our life can be written as God's poem, reflecting His way of living to your world. And one, as Proverbs says, is shining ever brighter until the full light of day. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson, related resources, and helpful links at www.bible805.com. If the podcast has been useful to you, please tell your friends about it and encourage them to listen and subscribe to it. In closing, I'm Yvonne Brin, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to end with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to a growing knowledge of God's Word, and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.